So welcome to THO impact of Turkish elections results on the Turkish-American relations. Uh, we have two great experts on Turkish-American relations today. We will have a, a short teleconferences. Uh, we have uh, lots of attendees that they RSVP since last week. Uh, first of all, uh, Joshua Walker from German Marshall Fund. He's going to talk, and then uh, Professor Michael Günther is a professor at Tennessee Technological University, and also he's our THO advisory board member. So we'll start with Joshua right now uh, to talk about the impact on the Turkish-American relations. Great. Thank you, Ali. Um, I think if everybody can put their phones on mute, that will make it a little easier so we can, uh, we, we can, we can talk. What I'm going to do is just uh, spend about 10 minutes, as I've been allotted, to just go through kind of the nuts and bolts of the election uh, and to go through a few things that I think are important, and then Professor Gunther is going to pick up uh, probably where I left off. Um, I think the first thing to say is to be a little bit humble about uh, what we need to say, which is that no one expected the results on November 1st. I think even uh, the party pollsters who have been the closest to the ground uh, did not expect the results that we saw on November 1st. I think in general, everyone expected that the AKP or the Justice and Development Party would be the party with the most number of votes, but given that the last time around, literally only five months ago on June 7th, they had gotten closer to 40%, most polls going into the election showed that they were going to get anywhere between 40 to 45%. So the fact that they got close to 50% uh, was a shock for everyone. Um, and it, it was very interesting in that the Turkish election uh, was basically decided uh, in the last couple of months, and, and some would even argue over the period of time since uh, the, the, the last couple of months where we had a lot of different things that had happened. So what, what changed between June 7th and November 1st? Well, the, the first thing to highlight is just kind of Turkey's very strong emergence uh, against the war on terror, where it both declared war on ISIS or the Islamic State or Daesh, whatever your favorite term is, but also the PKK. And obviously the PKK is a well-known uh, terrorist organization that Turkey has waged a three-decade war with. It really reignited uh, a major conflict, and I think in many ways November 1st was a vote for stability, whereas June 7th it was mostly voting on kind of the economy and kind of your traditional issues and whether the HDP or the uh, the People's Party, that the pro-Kurdish party, was going to enter the, the, uh, the parliament, what was most interesting to watch was not necessarily just how much the AKP won in the election, but it's how much the other parties uh, did not get. The traditional rival or the opposition party, the secular Republican People's Party, CHP, got more or less the same number of votes uh, as last time around. The two parties that really suffered and really lost the election as much as the AKP won the election was the MHP, the, the Nationalist Party, and the HDP, the Kurdish party, which last time around had shocked the world by getting 13% and going right past the 10% threshold for the first time in Turkish history. And so the fact that they came back down to earth uh, at a much lower level and that the uh, MHP really suffered a huge defeat at the polls and just barely crossed the 10% threshold, that makes what, what happened very interesting. I mean, we have to remember that after June 7th, the fact that there was no coalition government that came out uh, was very interesting to see. It seemed likely that there would have been some type of coalition either between the AKP and the MHP that share kind of a nationalist ideology or even a grand coalition between the CHP and AKP, but largely because of President Erdogan, who even though he was not on the ballot either of these election cycles, was very strong and, and had a very large influence. The one thing I would say is in the lead-up to the June 7th election, 
President Erdogan, unlike most presidents in Turkish history, had played a very strong role and had been out campaigning almost every day and articulating his view that the AKP was the best thing for Turkey's future and that he was pushing for a constitutional presidency. This time around, on November 1st, Ahmet Davutoglu, the prime minister and the leader of the AKP, actually played a much larger role. And you didn't see Erdogan as strongly coming out every day. And there was a very clear uh, feeling that voting for the AKP was about stability on November 1st versus when you voted for the AKP back on June 7th. It was simply more of an ideological symmetry there. And so as a result of uh, the terrorist attacks, whether it happened in Ankara, the, the worst terrorist attack in Turkish history, or whether it was fears over the Turkish economy, it seemed that the Turkish people have decided that they want four years of stability. There's not going to be another election at the national level for the next four years. So it does mean that uh, whatever you think about the AKP, whatever you think about President Erdogan or Prime Minister Erdogan, uh, Turkey has voted for relative domestic stability. Uh, and what's interesting about this is there are still serious external threats. Just because the Turkish people have voted in this way doesn't mean that the war on terror or the PKK is going to somehow disappear or that other external forces, uh, things that the president has called on, whether it's the Glenn movement or other uh, international uh, environment, are going to change. And so I think all these things are important to look at from that context and to understand what this means going forward. Um, given that Turkey's had so many elections in the last year, in the last you know, year and a half, they've had three elections from the presidential to the June 7th national to the November 1st, uh, I think the international community is just trying to figure out what to, what's going to happen next. And of course, what's actually going to happen next in less than two weeks is G20, uh, where the entire world and all of its leaders will be coming to Antalya to be hosted by President Erdogan. But how Prime Minister Davutoglu plays in this will be very interesting. I think the entire world is watching to see if there's any tension between the Prime Minister and the President. Uh, Prime Minister Davutoglu began his career as, a, as an academic, and now he's become a politician. He normally is not seen as having the same level of charisma or kind of the macho style uh, that the Kasim Pasha, uh, Prime Minister, uh, the President Erdogan has. But he, he has shown himself to be a very strong politician in this election. And so in many ways, the November 1st election could be attributed to a victory to, to uh, Davutoglu. So how that plays out, if there are any tensions or uh, how the President and Prime Minister work together moving forward will be in very interesting to watch. I would say that given the way the election turned out, the AKP uh, got the majority and so therefore it will form a government as a single party, but it doesn't have enough votes. It doesn't have the 330 seats it needs to change the constitutional system or the presidential system. So it seems that even though that was part of the AKP manifesto, this is the real difference between Davutoglu and Erdogan. Erdogan is very clearly pushing for a constitutional presidency and a constitutional reform and a change, uh, which will mean that he needs to find a coalition partner of some sort to either put it on a constitutional referendum or that he would be able to uh, uh, get it without uh, with some political support. So this is going to be the most interesting domestic thing I'll be uh, focusing on and watching. Um, I think when it comes to the EU-Turkish relationship, the fact that literally a couple of weeks before the election, Angela Merkel, of uh, a chancellor of Germany, came to visit uh, Istanbul and the pictures that were taken of her sitting next to President Erdogan and really pushing for a deal. Uh, Europe is struggling with the, with the refugee crisis in, in a way that only Turkey can help. And so it seems that this relationship uh, is going to be uh, entering a new phase. And the question is, is this going to be simply a transactional relationship where the EU asks for things and needs to, to try to work closely with Turkey, and Turkey will give certain concessions? Or will this go back to the period of strong Turkey-EU relations where the EU has a larger role? Uh, we don't know yet because we haven't seen the progress report of the EU and what this means uh, for the future. 
Um, I think when it comes to the Syrian refugee crisis, Turkey today has the largest number of refugees in the world. It used to be Pakistan. Now it's Turkey. Uh, it's struggling under the weight of just the sheer numbers. It's got over 2 million refugees. Uh, the fact that it, it is doing this on its own, uh, Turkey at the beginning was a country that said, we're okay, we're a developed country, we can handle the refugees. But after four years of a, Sy a Syrian civil war that has torn apart both Syria but the entire region, uh, including Turkey's southeast, I think Turkey needs more support internationally. And so as a result, uh, the Syrian refugees are one place that I would argue that there's, there should be trilateral cooperation between the Europeans, Americans, and the Turks. And that brings us to the uh, U.S.-Turkish relationship. I don't think it's any secret that uh, President Erdogan in the last couple of years, ever since uh, the Gezi Park protest, has, been in, has not enjoyed very strong uh, relations, particularly with the world press. When you look at the New York Times and, and uh, American press clippings, uh, you see a very strong picture of President Erdogan being portrayed like President Putin of Russia. And so that comparison between uh, Medyev and Putin has often been used with Davutoglu and Erdogan, or you can imagine Davutoglu being his own man and standing up to Erdogan. I believe somewhere in between is where the truth always lies. And the question is, how will Washington adjust to the reality uh, of a Turkey for the next four years that clearly has a very strong leader in President Erdogan and a strong leader in Prime Minister Davutoglu? How will Washington thread that needle? Uh, I would argue this is actually a, a good thing for U.S.-Turkish relations. It's very difficult, whether it's a coalition or having a weak mandate government, to, to have decisive change. And it's clear that you need a, a secure government to be able to, to, to fight the types of uh, conflicts, whether it's in ISIS or whether it's in Iraq. Being able to figure out the real question between Washington and Ankara, which is the Kurdish question, what's going to happen uh, in, in northern Syria, what's going to happen in Syria, uh, with a new world in which Assad may have to be accepted as a reality, but we have Russian air jets flying every day. Uh, and it'll be very interesting to see how this all plays out, uh, which leaves the U.S.-Turkish relationship in an interesting place. I think, again, the G20 is where we're going to see some indication of what this will look like. Uh, Prime President Erdogan and President Obama are scheduled to have a meeting there. I think they're going to basically uh, double down on their relationship. I think particularly since the Ankara bombings, uh, this drives home to Americans how important and also how strategic and how costly it is for Turkey to fight uh, shoulder and shoulder with the Americans. Ever since the summer and after the June 7th election, uh, President Erdogan and Prime, Prime Minister Davutoglu had agreed uh, to, to allow uh, American forces to use Injilet. Um So I think it's going to be very interesting uh, to watch those developments further. I think there are other international uh, and foreign policy issues that are important here. I, I would say Cyprus is one of the few areas that's a bright spot. Uh, you have leadership on the island for the first time, both on the Turkish Cypriot side and the Greek Cypriot side, uh, that want to find a solution. It seems that the moment has never been better. Uh, one of the main catalysts for this could be Turkey, and I think it would be a huge victory uh, for Ankara if they can once and for all settle the Cyprus problem, which would then open the way not only to EU membership, but also to stronger cooperation between NATO and, and the EU. Uh, I think places like Israel, where Turkey and Israel, particularly because of the Erdogan-Netanyahu relationship or even the Davutoglu-Lieberman relationship, uh, is, is really difficult, uh, has been difficult. But the trade relations and everything else have remained, so it seems like there's an opportunity, a moment in time, to repair those relations, particularly at a moment in which Turkey is having such difficulty with uh, Egypt and, and President Sisi that they continue to have uh, bad relations with. And there's a reset of relations with Saudi Arabia with the new king, so it looks that even though Turkish foreign policy in the last two years has not been doing as well, not necessarily because of mistakes made by Ankara, although there's certainly those, but also because of the regional environment in a post-Arab Spring world, 
it seems like there's a lot of opportunity. So depending on how the cabinet selections come out and by the end of this month, we'll see who the foreign minister will be, who the finance minister, who the economics minister. I think the international community is watching. If you look at what the financial markets did right after the elections, they responded very favorably. The lira uh, went up for the first time in a while, and the Turkish stock market has responded very favorably. So I think that momentum is good. I think it will be interesting to see if they can continue that uh, with the cabinet selections. So why don't I leave it there for the time being and turn it over to Professor Gunther, and then we can come back for some questions based on uh, what I laid out there. Thank you. Well, I'm Michael Gunter. Do you want me to uh, say something? Professor Gunter, this uh, yes, yes. you heard talking? you heard yes. Josh is done with talking, so it's uh, it's your turn, please. Okay, so uh, I'm uh, Professor Michael Gunter, and I'm a well-known supporter of the Kurdish cause. So that always surprises. Kurdish and Turkish scholars and officials who visit me in my office. I'm sitting here in my office right now, and I have a huge Turkish flag on my door, and I'm looking at a picture of Ataturk. So how is all that possible? Well, it's possible because I am a great friend of Turkey, a democratic Turkey, and uh, I hope that the results of this election on November 1st will get us back on that path where both the Turkish people and the Kurdish people and everybody else who lives in Turkey can uh, get back to the process of democracy and peace. Now, given all the new violence since late July, and especially since the Ankara bombing on November 10th, it will be difficult for President Erdogan and the AK party to regain the trust of the Kurds to begin a new peace process. However, if Erdogan uses his newly regained authority wisely and generously, he can indeed restart the peace process. We will soon see, I think, if he is the great leader many of us, including me, thought and hoped he was, or if he's just another vain politician unable to take the necessary wise steps for peace, which he can at least begin now. Now, these polls, everybody was saying uh, we're going to have another hung parliament. Uh, frankly, I think the polls were correct, uh, but unable to catch the last-minute surge for the AK Party because the voters felt that only the AK Party, at the last minute, the voters felt that only the AK Party had a proven ability to stop the violence and economic rot. However, given all the renewed violence and mistrust it has generated, as I said, it will still be exceedingly difficult for the AK Party to produce peace and a healthy economy. For the AK Party to succeed, it will need the help of the HDP and, yes, the PKK. For success, both sides, the Turkish side and the Kurdish side, is going to have to, uh, they're, they're going to have to compromise, and this will be very difficult for the AK, having, the AK Party having just won the election so handsomely and the PKK, in effect, asking for semi-autonomy, uh, 
how, how could that be? Both sides have to reach some type of compromise, and I think uh, the voters have given the AK Party and Erdogan a mandate to return to the peace process, and that is where I hope they will go, and I think that a lot of Kurds want to see that. They don't want to be fighting. Now, I understand the whole purpose of this program is uh, what the election means for the future of the U.S. and uh, Turkish relationship, and we could speculate a lot here, and let me just drop a few brief ideas in the remaining time I have. I I think the United States expects continued uh, usage of the Inshalik Air Base to um, carry out uh, what it's trying to do in Syria. Now, this leads to an inherent problem because the United States and Turkey do not see eye to eye on what is going on in Syria. And the election results on November 1st did not change this at all, except I think gave Turkey a uh, new uh, legitimacy and strength in its position. And the Turkish position is basically... uh, Turkey is against the Syrian Kurds, the PYD and its military units, the YPG, from gaining too much authority in Syria because this is a potential magnet for the Kurds and the PKK in Turkey to dismember Turkey. So that's the PKK, that's the Turkish position on the Syrian Kurds. The U.S. position is almost directly the opposite. The U.S. is supporting the Syrian Kurds with military uh, equipment and also uh, a, a step up in uh, uh, covert uh, military support of American uh, Uh, troops even. And uh, this has all the possibilities of clashing with Turkey here. So somehow the United States and Turkey have to agree on what the future, not only Syria in general is going to be, Assad's future, but specifically the Syrian Kurds. And uh, despite the election results, this is going to be a serious problem between the U.S. and Turkey. Now, I just alluded to the Assad question. Turkey is adamant that Assad has to go. The United States says the same thing to some extent, but it's clear that the United States is not in the forefront anymore of removing Assad because that would uh, result in problems uh, regarding uh, ISIS. So the United States and Syria are not together at all on the future of of Assad and the uh, peace process. Now, how about the Turkish economy? One reason the AK Party was so successful uh, in the past decade was the success with the Turkish economy, which, however, in the last couple of years has begun to tank, which is a slang American term for going down and out. And uh, what can be done here? I I certainly hope that the uh, election results on November 1st will give renewed stability to Turkey in uh, in order to uh, uh, increase its uh, return to the economic prosperity, specifically uh, the Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership 
was something that was very threatening to Turkey and now has seemingly been solved that Turkey will be able to take part of this uh, economic, this enormous economic customs union being formed between the United States on the one hand and the EU on the other hand, that Turkey will not be shut out of this and brought into the uh, tip. And if that is so, this promises very well for the future of the Turkish economy. Uh, how about the refugee problem? Uh, Walker alluded to the fact that Turkey houses more refugees now than any other state on earth. Uh, the United States has done very little to help the refugee problem of the Middle Eastern uh, tide sweeping into Europe. Uh, this, the refugee question gives Turkey uh, a, a great deal of leverage with the EU. For the first time uh, in a long time, Turkey has strong leverage with the EU. And I would like to see Turkish uh, candidacy in, with the EU uh, be restarted. Uh, this has great hopes for the uh, success of the Turkish economy and also as a way to help solve the Kurdish problem. If the talks between Turkey and the EU can get back on track again. How about Israel? I think also the, um, of course, the United States is Israel's greatest supporter, and the United States would like to see Israel and Turkey uh, renew its uh, for their former partnership. And again, uh, I would hope that President Erdogan will see this election result as a mandate to uh, move towards a, uh, a renewed understanding with Israel that will uh, make the United States happy and help solve Turkey's security and economic problems. And, and with that, I think I should stop and open up to questions. All right. Thank you, Dr. Gunter. Um, now I'm going to put it on for a Q&A. Uh, please follow the prompts. If you press star six, it will uh, ask you to put more prompts, and then you can be lined up for more questioning. All right, we have a uh, few questions so far. Again, please start. Please press star six and follow the prompts for if you'd like to ask questions. Hello. Yes, we can hi. have your question. Yes, hi. Uh, my name is Karaman Selik. I'm TRT correspondent to uh, New York. Uh, thank you for this briefing. Uh, both of uh, our experts um, kind of 
uh, said that, emphasized that Turkey, um, you know, emphasized what Turkey needs to do, basically, in order to improve um, its standing. My question to, uh, to both is, is this. How can the U.S. do to improve uh, the Turkish standing, the relations with Turkey, the crisis that are um, uh, putting Turkey into a hot spot like the Syrian refugee crisis, uh, what 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 more can the U.S. do? What what more can uh, the Allies do so that Turkey um, actually has a less of a burden? Thank you very much. Thanks. I guess I'll I'll start out and then turn it over to Professor Gunter for his response. I mean, I think that's a great question. I think that's a question that a lot of people in Washington should be asking right now. There has been uh, over the last five months, between June seventh and November first, a lot of head scratching in Washington and basically a feeling that Turkey was going in the wrong direction. And so, you know, it's easy to kind of criticize and to say there are problems, but then when you begin to say, well, isn't America a part of this? In other words, the U.S. has been a strong ally of Turkey for the last 60 years. We stand shoulder to shoulder. If Turkey is going in the wrong direction, clearly Washington policy on Turkey has not been in the right direction either. And I think rather than playing domestic politics, something that many Turks have wanted Americans to do, in other words, They've wanted Washington to weigh in on one side or the other, and some have accused us of being supporters of the AKP because in some ways we brought Erdogan and his party to power back in 2002 with the neocons or being able to flip and to support some opposition party. I would argue whenever Washington plays domestic politics, we always lose. And so I I think you have to stick to your values and your interests. And these two concepts sometimes run counter in the Middle East, and Turkey is no exception to that. So I'd say the first thing that we should do is basically at the G20 summit when Obama and Erdogan meet, send a very strong signal that we want Turkey at the table. We need Turkey to be there with us, not just on the Syrian refugee crisis, not just on fighting against ISIS, but the broader regional architecture that's coming. I don't think there's any uh, issue in the Middle East, from Egypt to Iraq to any of these problems, that, uh, that, that Turkey should not be involved in. And I also think that involves the Iran deal. And I also think it involves economic policy like TTIP. And so whether or not Turkey joins tomorrow with the European Union or is a part of TTIP, it should be offered a way to have a voice because there's no country that's affected more uh, than Turkey in the region. So having that type of strong uh, connection with Washington is critical. And I think anytime Ankara and Washington suffer in their relations, it actually hurts Turkish foreign policy more broadly, and it certainly helps, uh, hurts Washington's policy particularly in an environment in which Russia is being more aggressive than we've ever seen. It's decided to flout international law, both in Crimea and Ukraine. But even now, as it's doing what it's doing in Syria, I think the U.S. and Turkey have never been closer as a result of their interests. But, of course, at the same time, as Professor Gunter has already pointed out, and I'm sure he'll have some comments on this as well, getting our policy right on Syria is critical. And I think it, it, it does come down to the Kurdish question, because I think that most people in the world, and particularly in Washington, see the fact that the Kurds are the strongest allies that we have uh, in Syria on the ground to fight Daesh or ISIS. And so being able to make a distinction between those Kurdish fighters, the PYD, and the PKK will be very important because Turkey is very sensitive to this. I understand exactly what the sensitivities are with Ankara in terms of continuing to fight and make sure that the PKK understands that there is no military solution. Every time the PKK begins its violence, it loses far more than anybody else. Therefore, the only solution is a political compromise that hopefully the HDP uh, can be a part of. 
and certainly that the newly empowered AKP will, will come to the table and have a discussion of. That's a place that Washington has to be involved. It can't happen without us, but at the same time, it's very easy for Washington to get involved in domestic politics, and that would be dangerous. So let me stop there and see what Professor Gunter has to say as well. Well, let's see. Can Professor Gunter be understood? I don't know what buttons to push here. Am I communicating? Yes, you are, Professor. Okay. Uh, this is a huge question, and I, I can't answer it all, but uh, just very quickly, I, I think that Syria is obviously possibly the, the main problem between the United States and Turkey right now, and we have to do something about it. And uh, what we can do about it, uh, the Kurds are a major problem in Syria, and I think the United States is making a, uh, a, a, an error here. The U.S. thinks that it can use the Syrian Kurds and also the Iraqi Kurds as boots on the ground to do the work against ISIS in both Iraq and Syria, and I don't think this is really possible uh, for the following reason. The Kurds in Iraq and in Syria have been very successful. They have basically achieved what they wanted to do, autonomy in their historic areas they claim. And they have everything they've ever wanted. I don't think the Kurds in Iraq or in Syria want any more. And the idea that the U.S. can somehow use the Kurds in Syria as boots on the ground to capture Raqqa and move on and capture other areas of Syria, I don't think the PYD really wants this. It's a bridge too far. It's overstepping itself. And the same thing in Iraq. The KRG does not want to try to uh, take Mosul back from the uh, uh, ISIS. Uh, that's not historic Kurdish territory. And, again, I don't know that the United States really understands this. The Kurds are not just mercenaries the United States can hire to go off and do its uh, work uh, boots on the ground in Iraq and Syria. Uh, now, uh, the other thing I'd like to mention is that uh, uh, I think Russia, in clear, clearly Russia has entered the Syrian quagmire, and instead of criticizing Russia so much, I think the United States and Russia should get together and find some common ground in pooling their resources uh, or, and working together to bring the, the Syrian situation to an end. It is a crime against humanity that the UN Security Council has not been able to come up with the agreement. It's not the Security Council's fault. It's the members of the Security Council and precisely the United States and Russia should find, should stop criticizing each other's positions in Syria. I think the U.S. is just as guilty of doing things in Syria as Russia is. And let's uh, use these two states to get together and bring an end to the Syrian civil war in a way that will be uh, advantageous to everybody, including, of course, Turkey. That's all. Thank you. Well, uh, there's uh, two more questions. I'll take this ne next one. Uh, first of all, hi, everybody. I'm uh, Mike from Turkish Young Business Association, and it has been a great experience, I have to tell, and thank you for everybody. And my question is, what kind of action Turkey and USA take fighting with ISIS since there will be a new government? Thank you.
um, I, I think that the, the, the new actions in some ways are not going to be all that new. I think that the framework for working together uh, has been well, uh, well established. When you look at uh, the way that the American and uh, Turkish intelligence and defense communities have been working together, and certainly military planners have been working together, uh, there's a long history there, and there's a long process in which uh, fighting ISIS in some ways fits in line with what uh, they've been doing together for a while. The one thing that's different is with the new government in Turkey uh, and with the government in Washington that has about a year, a year and a half uh, to go, I think it's really important that there's political will and that there's also a real connection in terms of understanding this has to be a whole of country, a whole of uh, a government approach. One of the most disturbing things to watch over the last year has been the polarization within Turkey. And, and a lot of the accusations we've seen uh, in the media in Washington and, and in America more broadly about uh, Turkey being uh, somehow a jihadi highway, uh, there are a lot of sympathizers with ISIS in Turkey. All these types of things uh, further erode and polarize our two nations and our two countries when it comes to fighting this. I think that the, the fact is ISIS is a direct threat to Turkey. Uh, they, they showed that very clearly on, uh, on October 10th and the Ankara bombing. Uh, but I think that even before that, Ankara was aware of this. And so while uh, certainly Ankara's policy on Syria has been somewhat different than Washington's, it's had a very clear point of view that Assad must go and there needs to be a broader strategy. Washington has been a little bit more circumspect. Um, wh whatever Washington is doing next, it has to involve Turkey. And so the idea of sending in special forces, there was an announcement by Obama they're going to send in 50 American special force troops to fight ISIS or whether it's uh, training and equipping, which did not work as well, uh, that was taking place mostly in Turkey, uh, I think they're going to have to find a way to work together. I would argue that Turkey probably has more intelligence and more cultural sensitivity and understanding of defeating ISIS, whether it's in Iraq or in Syria. But it also means, going back to the Kurdish question, that Turkey is going to work, uh, it's gonna have to work closely with the KRG forces, it's going to have to work closely with the Iraqi army uh, and other forces. And I agree with what Professor Gunter said earlier, which was that, uh, you know, this cannot just simply be a Russia versus a U.S. thing. You know? And it's not just Russia and the U.S., by the way. Iran has gotten itself very involved in Syria. I think Saudi Arabia, the Gulf states have gotten themselves involved, and Turkey has been involving itself in different ways. So finding some type of way of, of coming together to try to end this, you know, kind of human tragedy that we're seeing in Syria will be very important because we can talk all we want about the refugee crisis with the Europeans, and we can talk all we want with the Americans about the strategic imperative of defeating ISIS. Uh, they're, they're the same problem of a flip side of a coin. And so uh, making sure that that uh, security cooperation and everything else that is uh, under, uh, undergird the U.S.-Turkish relationship is going to have to be put to the test. And so I really think that with stability in Turkey, hopefully, uh, with a new political will and leadership, uh, Turkey in some ways is going to have to be the antidote. No country has the moral authority uh, in terms of being a Sunni power in the way that Turkey does of being able to fight against ISIS's ideology of the so-called caliphate. The less caliphate that I know of that's legitimate actually was in Istanbul. So being able to really defeat this ideology is going to involve not just Turkey, but all the, all the players in the region. Okay, this, this is Michael Gunter again. Uh, as I understood it, the question was how can Turkey and the U.S. Uh, cooperate better against ISIS? Uh, 
I think that one of the, the problems is simply that Turkey has never seen ISIS as the existential threat to the United States and many others see it. And until Turkey does, we're going to continue to have misunderstandings here. Uh, Turkey still sees the Syrian Kurds as being more of a danger than ISIS. Turkey sees both of them as dangers, but uh, uh, ISIS is not the danger that the U.S. sees it. And Turkey is going to have to uh, uh, come to some better understanding here with its allies. And uh, what that is, we will have to wait and see. Now, we still don't know who committed the Ankara Surich uh, and earlier Diyarbakir bombings where so many Turkish Kurds were uh, killed. Uh, it's not necessarily ISIS that did it. Uh, it would be very uh, useful, I think, if uh, we, ha- we had a clearer understanding of, of these bombings and uh, that we could understand better exactly what the ISIS threat is to Turkey. These new Vienna talks going on about Syria, uh, uh, Dr. Walker was certainly correct. It's more than just Russia and the United States, uh, and that's the hope of these new Vienna talks. For the first time, we've brought in the other serious participants in the Syrian war, such as Iran and Hezbollah, and uh, also Saudi Arabia. There's no way you can solve or even begin to solve the Syrian problem until all the uh, participants are meeting and still uh, Assad is not involved in these talks. Uh, probably he never will be. But I do think the uh, new Vienna talks just the past uh, week or so are an encouraging sign that for, for the first time we are making some limited progress in bringing this horrible tragedy in Syria to a close. That, that's all. All right, thank you. And the uh, last question. Please, hello? Can you hear me? Uh, yes, but it's from a distance. Can you speak to the mi- microphone so we can hear you better? Hello? There you go. Thank you. Yes, we can hear you now. Hi. My name is Nevin Bakir. Uh, I'm a publisher at uh, Turkish American Magazine and newspaper. Uh, my question is, what do you think about the Turkish economy? with the election results. Do you think Turkish economy will progress with one party? Okay, thank so you. This is Joshua. This is Joshua. As I said and uh, alluded to in my, in, in my remarks, I think that this question about the economy will basically be the determining factor over the next four years. Um, even though we're not scheduled to have another election for, for four-year term, if the economy were to go south and to, 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 to uh, tank, then I think you'd have a major recalculation because I think that the reason, and I think Professor Gunther made this comment earlier in his comments as well, the reason that the AKP kind of came to power and has stayed in power for 13 years now uh, is because of the economy. And I think what's interesting to watch, as I alluded to, is who the, who the economic team will be. Given that the economy over the last couple of years has not been doing as well, it's not growing at the same rate. I mean, we used to talk about Turkey as kind of the China of the Middle East, and at least one quarter 
over the last couple of years, the Turkish economy actually grew faster than the Chinese economy, which is truly a, a, amazing to watch. But over the last couple of years, and particularly over the last year, uh, I think the financial markets have been looking at Turkey with, with a little bit of a mixture of hesitation. And what I mean by that is that while Turkey remains stable in comparison to its neighbors, whether that's Iraq or Iran or even Egypt at this point in time, um, there are questions, and particularly in terms of uh, the, 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 the rate of the lira against the dollar, and even in terms of how much investment FDI has been going into Turkey, there are questions that are out there. So having a very strong financial team and an economic team will be very important. I think this is where the personalities that the international community know, uh, people like Ali Babajan, Mehmet Shimshek, these are known quantities both at Wall Street but also in London and other uh, financial centers. And so um, it will be interesting, interesting to see what portfolio uh, Ali Babajan takes on. There's been a lot of discussion about, well, well will this cabinet look like an Erdogan cabinet? or it will be more of a double cabinet. Um, I think these type of discussions are interesting, but more importantly is how does the market respond. Um, I already alluded to the fact that the markets have responded very favorably uh, to a one-party and kind of stable government in Turkey, but I don't think you can maintain that performance unless uh, there's strong policy behind it. And one of the disturbing trends that we saw over the last year was kind of a populist feeling, and many times President Erdogan would attack the central bank uh, and also the, the, the credibility and independence of the central bank came under attack by Erdogan as he was trying to appeal to populist nationalism. And so how, how the, the independence of the central bank, how uh, the finance team and the economic ministry will be staffed, will they have people who understand international markets, will they be able to attract uh, the level of financial, uh, you know, foreign direct investment into Turkey, these are all going to be really important because uh, that, that's what's fueled Turkey, that's, that's what's made Turkey, uh, in some ways, the most stable and most important emerging market in its neighborhood. And certainly as the G20 comes together as the premier uh, financial uh, international institution, Turkey's role as the host this year will be very important to watch. And also, how will Turkey maintain that momentum after everyone leaves Antalya? Um, that's the big question. And there are going to be, it seems to me, that there's always going to be some ups and downs in the economy. Uh, but will stability uh, allow people to get back to business as usual and get people to start thinking more about Turkey as an investment area as opposed to being a place that you have to have unpredictability will be very important uh, over the next couple of years. Thank you. Okay, this is uh, Professor Gunter one more time. I am bullish on Turkey, especially now that the elections are over and the AK Party is now uh, able to form a new majority government. Uh, I certainly hope that uh, lessons have been learned from the recent past, and the AK Party is in a position to uh, govern in a way that it does not polarize the country and uh, is seen as a governing for all the people in the country. This, by definition, will help the economic situation, uh, specifically TTIP, uh, the Transatlantic uh, Investment Project, coming online offers an enormous economic benefit for Turkey. Uh, Dr. Walker very rightly uh, mentioned the independence of the Turkish Central Bank. The, the Central Bank must have independence to uh, carry out sound economic policies, monetary policies, instead of being uh, under pressure from short-sighted populist uh, attacks. Uh, other if that's not so, the, the economy will not be successful. Uh, we have to uh, 
uh, at least be seen as making progress with the Syrian situation because the Syrian situation causes uh, an enormous refugee problem that taxes the Turkish economy, and the Syrian situation feeds into the Kurdish problem also in, Tur- in Turkey as well. And uh, if we can make progress with the Syrian situation, this will help the Turkish economy. Also, the, as we know, the Turkish economy is the 16th largest in the world, and Turkey continues to have a very bright economic future so long as we have this wise leadership. And the, uh, the election enables the leadership in Turkey now to have a newfound legitimacy, and Erdogan certainly is smart enough and experienced enough, and the people working with him are so to do the right thing, and uh, I'm hoping that uh, they will do the right thing. Thank you. Paul, um, there are no additional questions. I'd like to thank you for um, your participation, Dr. Gunter and uh, Dr. Walker. Thank you very much again uh, for this very informative uh, session, and uh, I'd like to thank you, everybody, and we will have a press uh, release later on on our website, please visit our website. We also have an upcoming event on Monday if you're interested in G20 Summit. Uh, which, if you're located in Washington, D.C., we'd like you to attend that event as well. All the information is located on our website. Thank you very much again. Have a good evening.